Well, good morning and welcome. Glad to see you all here this morning. We have got a full schedule for you. Are you ready? Good. Because if you're not, I'm starting anyway. A couple of announcements uh, to make you aware of uh, this morning. Uh, first off, uh, today is our promotion Sunday and graduate recognition Sunday. We did a promotion during our Sunday school fusion uh, hour uh, just before this one. And so our, our students have been moved up to their next Sunday school class at that particular ceremony. And then here uh, later on in the service, we're going to recognize a couple of our uh, graduates who are graduating high school and moving on to uh, the next things God has for them. A few additional things. Tonight at 6 o'clock we have a music night and uh, it is pretty full. We've got uh, well over 20 different uh, songs, things, stuff that's happening here. So it, it's going to be a full program this evening. So I encourage you to come, bring the family and just enjoy worshiping our Lord and Savior in song uh, this evening as uh, these 20 plus individuals Use those talents and skills that God has given them to praise his name this evening. I'd also make a note to our members that are here today that uh, following the music night for a few moments afterwards, we're going to have a short business meeting. We have a couple of things that we need to address. So uh, if you are a member and you are in the, within the sound of my voice, see you tonight. All right. So that would be wonderful when we get some of those things taken care of uh, this evening. This week is an important week prepping our church building. Vacation Bible School begins not tomorrow, but the week after tomorrow. And so this week we could use your help if you're interested or able to help set up things, get the stage prepared, the decorations and things set up throughout the building where we're using spaces. I'd encourage you to please see Kristen Nickel. Where are you? Right here. Just look for Dave. He'll point her out. There you go. Right in the back corner. All right, go see that wonderful lady, and she would love to uh, get you signed up for various tasks uh, and schedule days and times and all that kind of stuff so that we can transform this place into our VBS location as we have done so many times uh, in the past. And again, if you have any kids, uh, kindergarten through 6th, 7th grade, that are interested in being a part of our vacation Bible school that begins a week from tomorrow, uh, please get them signed up. You can do that online. Uh, I think there's a QR code back in the, v, uh, the kids' station that you can scan, and that'll take you to the registration spot. Uh, and then, by all means, come on Monday and get registered that day if you forget. All right? Would love to have you here. Have your kids here Monday through Thursday for vacation Bible school. Uh, other than that, uh, we also have summer camp coming up uh, really quickly. Uh, it's uh, July the 11th through the 16th. We're taking up a group of students if you have a kid that is going or a teen that is going and you don't want to take them, that's okay. We have a sign-up sheet back on the Welcome Center. It has all of your kids' or students' names that are registered for camp. All you need to do is check the box uh, that they're riding in the van there and they're riding in the van back or whatever your kid is doing. All right, And then sign that for us so we know that you actually check the box and not your kid. Okay? You with me? All right. So uh, if you could do that, please, for your student that is uh, planning on going to camp so we know how many seats we need to prepare for uh, so that we can get your student to camp and then, uh, if you choose, have your student come home from camp. All right? Other than that, uh, I'd like uh, to have you stand with me, please, as we get prepared for our call to worship this morning.
call to worship comes from Hebrews chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by, his, by the word of his power. After making purification for our sin, sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Then verse 8 says this, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Take the next couple of moments here uh, as it's Graduate Recognition Sunday to invite. Uh, we have five. Two of them are here with us this morning and are going to have an opportunity to come up. So uh, if you are here now, Ethan and Leah, please come up. Uh, but just to make you aware of who we have, Kaylee Koloski graduated from Vassar uh, this year. Mason Mowry graduated from Garber. And... Clickety-click. Kaysen Wilson also graduated from homeschool. They had their uh, graduation ceremony here yesterday. And uh, these two fine individuals, tell your parents to get up here too. You don't need to be up here by yourself. <laughs> so we've got Leah Urban. And we have Ethan Thane here. Aren't they just fine-looking individuals? And the ones responsible for their good-lookingness are coming up right now. All right, so why don't you back up and make some room for your folks here. Uh, these two individuals, I'm going to give each of them an opportunity to come up here and share with you just for a, a quick minute what's next, all right? So what is next? Because you're obviously here right now, right? And you've graduated, and so something's next. Even if you don't know what that is, share with us that you don't know what that is, all right? But uh, just a, a brief moment, and then I'm going to continue. So do you want to go first? Ladies no. first? Okay, here. Let's do this so that way you're not staring at Ethan. You can stare That's at yourself. <laughs> so this coming fall, I will be heading down to Detroit to go to Macomb Community College, and I will be starting my gen eds so that I can apply into their veterinary tech program, and hopefully starting that next fall. Perfect. <laughs> Very exciting. All right, Ethan. You can stare at yourself. Isn't that nice? Your, your little cute self. Um, this fall, I will be attending University of Flint, Michigan, and I will be obtaining my bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. Fabulous. Fabulous. Thank you. So as always, we have a little something for you from the church, and I threw our youth group stuff in there too. Uh, as far as our church is concerned, we like to give our uh, graduates uh, a book on prayer. And if you've ever seen the movie War Room, yes, no, maybe so? All right. And so uh, Priscilla Shear, is it Shear or Shire? How does she say that? Shire. All right. She's got one called Fervent. Maybe you have heard of that one. And then the Kendrick brothers put the battle plan for prayer, those two uh, books together. And so we have a very special leather edition for you guys because we spare no expenses for your... Spiritual education, right? And so here is that, and here's this for you as well. Also in there, uh, the Spiral Round book is a book I like to give our, our uh, 
Teenagers from Alive Student Ministries. It's a book on counseling in the sense of this is how counseling young uh, men and young women because you're going to be going out into the world without these wonderful people like right there all the time, right? And so the whole mommy, daddy, what do I do? What, do, what All those questions, like you're struggling with something. These books I found to be very helpful. If you're struggling with something, say, uh, depression, right, and, and you're feeling a little depressed at whatever the circumstance is, you can look in there and it'll, it'll have depression there and give you a list of all these scripture passages for you to go to to read uh, as God is speaking into your heart uh, regarding that. And uh, honestly, it's really a tool to point us to a specific person and place, and that would be God and his word throughout whatever struggles you may have. So that's a resource we like to give. And then, of course, you get your alumni uh, T-shirt as well, which you do not have to put on right at this moment. You can wait till later, all right? So uh, I'd like to pray. If you would uh, join me as I pray uh, for our seniors here as they uh, have graduated or on their way uh, to what is next, uh, we want to just shower you with, with some prayer here. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for how you have invested into the lives of these seniors, how you have given them parents that love you and seek to raise them in the nurture and admonition of you. God, I thank you for this loving faith family that you have placed around them as well that is uh, constantly and will continue to be praying for them as they go on and see the new adventures and challenges that you have prepared in advance for them to do. God, I pray that uh, you would keep them uh, steadfast, affixed to your holy word, which is our guide to this life that we have your revelation to us and to these seniors. May they continue to walk in your footsteps as they move forward, as they move on to these colleges, these new atmospheres that are no doubtedly going to be uh, heavily influenced by this world. But God, help them to uh, stand fast, fully devoted to you. God, and give these parents the um, comfort they need, as much as they probably want these children to be out on their own sometimes they're also going to feel that absence uh, in their homes as well. And I pray that you would comfort them and give them uh, the, the encouragement that they need to know that their children have been raised well and are out doing your business. God, we love you. We thank you for these seniors and these parents and the extended families, and we ask these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. If you would please, just by saying amen, would you agree to... Uh, think upon these students, pray for these seniors as they not only are graduating, graduated, and moving on now, but over the course of the next number of years. If that is something you are willing to do for them, would you let them know by saying amen? Amen. 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 We love you. We thank you for your involvement, and we pray it never ends because we're still here. Come visit. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 15. Beginning in verse 33. Mark 15, verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it Behold, said, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. 
And the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father, thank you for your word. You bless it today, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 15. Before we get to the sermon this morning, we will be observing the Lord's table after this, um, the message. So um, the communion cups are in the foyer if you would like to participate. And um, <clears throat> before we get on with the message this morning, uh, with us today... Um, for the last time, is uh, Kurt and Kim Landreth. Uh, Kurt and Kim will be moving uh, down towards their children in Macomb and uh, to be near family. And uh, the blessing uh, of that is uh, anyone who's lived by their grandkids or had uh, their parents live near them knows the blessing of that. And so uh, we're happy for, for them and for their kids. Uh, but we are um, sad for ourselves. <laughs> Um, as we uh, remember uh, so many things. Uh, when I first came here um, many years ago, uh, Kurt and Kim came not very long after I came here, or maybe even before I came here. And um, we be- were connected uh, closely and quickly because of their, their youngest son, Chris, who was in the youth group at the time. And uh, we got to know, Chris and I got to know each other quite well and still remain uh, connected today, and uh, that put me in connection with uh, Kurt and Kim in a, a more personal way than um, I typically would get with uh, parents at that point in my ministry uh, who were, did not have children in our, our church. And so that was uh, some 20 years ago that uh, they were here. They started coming and have served in so, so many ways here. Uh, Kurt has, uh, obviously, you've seen him mostly here, uh, leading, singing, um, and special musics, and part of the choir, and part of special events with music all around. And uh, he's been doing that since he was uh, a teenager, right? Uh, been doing that kind of stuff. And so uh, his, his capacity for that was um, something that our church was so, so, so blessed by, something that um, we needed, and uh, we're thankful for, for all of that. Um, I was thinking about him and in, in, uh, just thinking about Easter services over the years and uh, the way he would lead those services and uh, singing the, the, the song, uh, He's Alive. You might remember him singing that song. And uh, it's kind of a memorable uh, Easter moment uh, for, for me. Uh, Kurt teached, uh, taught in uh, nearly every uh, age group in our church. Uh, when he first got here, he was helping with uh, the youth group uh, he taught on Wednesdays, and he was helping with young adults teaching, and uh, some of you were been in his class as an adult class for the past uh, many years as well. So thankful for his capacity there. Uh, Kurt and Kim have just been a, um, a model to, to me of uh, their faithfulness to our church, their faithfulness to the Lord, even in these past few years, or several years, uh, dealing with a, a lot of difficulty uh, physically, that they have uh, dealt with, 
and yet they uh, have remained trusting the Lord, and it's just been a great example of, of, of suffering well and enduring when things have been uh, not easy for them. Um, uh, they are a, uh, and will continue to remain, a, a special part of our, our church, uh, without which uh, we won't be what we are. And uh, that's, that's difficult uh, to, to uh, kind of handle, uh, honestly. Uh, one of the difficulties as a pastor is when people leave. <laughs> uh, whether they leave over uh, bad reasons or good reasons or difficult reasons, whatever the case, it's hard for us who are, who are left. Uh, I'm thankful in this case, uh, this is a, a uh, ascending, if you will, ascending out um, with, with all good things attached to it. So uh, our prayer is that God will be with you in uh, this new chapter, and just uh, from, from me to you and from our church to you, thank you. Uh, we love you, and we are, we're thankful for your ministry with us. Yeah, we give a warm hand. Yeah. I'd just like to pray um, the blessing in Numbers chapter 6, Aaron's blessing, um, and I'd just like to pray it over you. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May it be so. Amen. We're thankful for you. And uh, man, it's, uh, here, here's, the, here's the, the, the good news. Uh, sitting here today are two other couples who have, who have moved away and they're back. They're back for a visit. Uh, Steve and Janet Young are here, and I think Jeff and Kathleen are here. <laughs> Jeff and Kathleen are here. And so uh, you can move as far away as Mexico and still come back. <laughs> so you're not that far. So that, that's going to be awesome. We'll uh, see you again for sure. And uh, for that, we just uh, trust the Lord with that. But thank you again. <clears throat> so... This is an awkward, difficult transition. So let's, let's, let's just bow and ask God's blessing to help us um, as we enter into the time of worship through the word. <clears throat> God, we ask for you to prepare our hearts today to accept your word. Would you silence in us any voice but your own? that hearing, we may also obey your will through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you have a Bible, if you're not there already, Mark chapter 15. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, that's on page 853. 853. In the opening chapters of the Bible, we learn about a place called the Garden of Eden, a place of paradise, a place where, where man dwelt with God, who, who he walked with God, a place in which righteousness dwelt. But no sooner than chapter three, we see how sin corrupted the world, how paradise was in fact lost. And when sin came, so came death. As God handed down the judgments for sin to Adam, to Eve, and then to the serpent, we read what has been called the Proto-Evangelium, or the first gospel 
in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, hear this. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus is speaking to the serpents. He's speaking to Satan, and he says to him that the offspring, that is Jesus, will be at odds with Satan. Yet, yet this offspring, Jesus, the Messiah, would bruise the head of the serpent or crush the head of the serpent while the serpent bruises his heel. This statement from Genesis chapter 3, right? The food was barely digested in the stomach of Adam and Eve and, and God is already pointing forward to the cross. He's already pointing forward to the victory that would come. In the death of Jesus, we do not see defeat, we see victory. We see victory. Now, that, that sounds strange. How can death be victory? That seems, seems counterintuitive, and yet that is what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures teach that in the death of Jesus, there was victory that was had. The accomplishment of God's will was done. Well, last week we saw Jesus being crucified. And we saw there how, how many mocked, but how one robber believed. But as we continue through the rest of chapter 15, we will see that that believing robber was not the only one who responded favorably to Jesus. Additionally, in the death of Jesus, we can see several important and essential truths. So as we come into our passage for today, we remember that Jesus was crucified, and he was crucified at 9 a.m. And after hanging on the cross for three hours, from 9 to noon, Mark continues the narrative in verse 33, where he says this, And when the sixth hour had come, that is noon, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. That's three o'clock. At noon, darkness came over the whole land. When they say the whole land there, that's the, the land of Judea, darkness came over. Darkness was not normal for this time. This was midday. This was not a, a natural, uh, an, an, an act of nature. It was not a solar eclipse, if you will. Rather, it was a miraculous event that lasted for three hours from 12 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Darkness in the scriptures we see is, is, it represents lament or, or mourning. Look at Amos chapter 8. But it also signifies God's curse, his divine judgment on sin. Again, we can go back to the Old Testament and remember that God called Moses to lead his people of Israel, the Hebrews, out of Egypt out of the bondage to Pharaoh. As Moses went, kind of reluctantly, he went, he, he called for the, the people to be released, and Pharaoh said no. He refused to let the people go, which then began a series of plagues. You may remember the 10 plagues that ended with darkness and the death of the firstborn in every house, except for those who believed God and applied the blood of a spotless lamb to the doorposts of their house. 
It was that night that God passed over those homes that had applied the blood and the firstborn was saved. We remember that Jesus is being crucified during the Jewish festival to remember the Passover. We remember what the Apostle Paul has said in his epistles, that Jesus was the the Passover lamb. So as we come to this text and we see Jesus dying at this time, we see darkness over the land. We can't help but remember the first Passover. At this Passover, though, Jesus took the judgment of God against sin. Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God so that we could be saved from the coming judgment of God against us for our sin. He died our death so that that blood could be applied to our life. As the blood was applied to the doorpost, so too the blood must be applied for you and me in order that we too can be saved. The question for us is, are you prepared Ward Wearsby writes, the darkness at Calvary was an announcement that God's firstborn and his beloved son, the Lamb of God, was giving his life for the sins of the world. It was also an announcement that judgment was coming and man had better be prepared. Judgment is coming and we had better be prepared. The cross tells us, among other things, that God takes sin seriously Deadly serious. In fact, it required the death of his son, the cosmic separation of the eternal unity of the triune God. That's what it took for sin to be paid. Are you prepared to face God? Are you prepared to stand before him? Are you prepared to make a case before him? In darkness, Jesus endured the cross. At the end of this time of darkness, Jesus cried out. Look at verse 34. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus here cries out not because of the physical pain, though there was physical pain, which we talked about last week. It was, in fact, excruciating. But he cried out because of the separation that he was experiencing from the Father an experience that he had never experienced before, being eternally united. But here, because of sin, the sin that was upon him, the father turned his back on the son. He forsook the son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? One one poet, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, calls this the orphaned cry of Jesus. At this moment, Jesus not only felt alone, but he was alone. Yet here, what does he refer to? How does he talk to God? He quotes from Psalm chapter 21, verse 22, verse 1. My God, my God. Even in this moment, he's recognizing and entrusting himself to the Father who is his God. Job 13, verse 14 says, Though he slay me, yet I will trust, or yet I will hope in him. Timothy Keller writes, This forsakenness, this loss, was between the Father and the Son who has loved each other from all eternity. This love was infinitely long, absolutely perfect, and Jesus was losing it. 
Jesus was being cut out of the dance. Jesus, the maker of the world, was being unmade. Why? Jesus was experiencing our judgment day. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't a rhetorical question. The answer is for you, for me, for us. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would never be. The judgment that should have fallen on us fell instead on Jesus, end quotes. Because of the sin of the world upon Jesus, the Father abandoned the Son. Not because he did not love the Son, but because that is what redemption required. Salvation does not come without a sacrifice. There is no way for salvation to work without a sacrifice. Sin must be dealt with. One paraphrase of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 goes like this. For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sin. And then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. Jesus had to bear the sin. He had to be forsaken in order for us to be saved. There was no other way. He was forsaken by God that we would never be. Sit with that just for a moment. Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that we would never be. So that you would never be alone. So that you would never be abandoned. In Christ, and only in Christ, are we accepted in the Beloved brought into the family of God, known by God as his child, a, a friend, an heir with Christ, never to be alone again, never to be forsaken by God. That only works if Jesus does what he did. Thank God he did it. Well, Mark continues in verse 35 as we see the response to Jesus' cry. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. Some ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come and take him down. Now, these bystanders may have misunderstood what Jesus was saying. It could have been a, a confusion with like-sounding words uh, of Elijah and um, the, the language there of my God, my God. But there is also an opportunity here that they could have been being um, sarcastic with Jesus about someone coming to, to help him. Uh, regardless uh, of whether they understood what they understood, we don't know. Regardless, they then offer him a drink. Uh, that may have been in response to what John says in John 19 when Jesus says one of his seven sayings, I thirst. This may have been the opportunity for them to give him a drink. But it's right at this point, verse 37 jumps in. It says, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Not only was Jesus forsaken, but here as Jesus cries out and breathes his last, we find that he finished what he started. He paid in full the debt of our sin. It is likely that this is the same spot in John's narrative where John records Jesus saying, it is finished. It is finished. It is paid in full. In English, it's three words. In the Greek, it's one word. In A.W. Pink says it's the briefest of his sayings on the cross and yet the fullest. It was not a cry of defeat. This was not desperation. This was not resignation. Nor was it a sign of relief 
at the end of his suffering. Rather, this was a declaration of accomplishment. What Jesus came to do, he did. He finished it. He fulfilled his work. And here, as Jesus breathes his last, what we see is Jesus laying down his life. You might remember earlier in John's gospel where Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. And I have the power to take it back up again, given to me from the Father. Here's the truth. The Jews didn't kill Jesus. The Romans didn't kill Jesus. Yes, they crucified him. But Jesus gave his life. No one took it from him. In that sense, no one killed Jesus. Jesus died. Jesus gave up his life. Why? In order to pay the debt of our sin. Freeing sinners from the bondage of sin. That's what he did. When he paid our debts, he freed us from the power and the penalty of that sin. That's what the death of Jesus did. And by grace, we now have been freed. You are free, Christian. You are free from the power and the penalty of sin. You don't have to sin. We don't have to sin. Do you know that? And dwelt by the Spirit of God, we could say no. Where once we could never say no, now we can. This is what it means to be freed from the power and the penalty of sin. Are you walking in that freedom? Are you walking in the newness of life? Well, this freedom from sin was not all that Jesus did. He also provided access to God. Look at verse 39. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now in the temple, there was a curtain, or many curtains, but likely the curtain that they're talking about here is a curtain that separated two places. A, a holy place from a most holy place. Or, or the holy of holies. A place where the priest would go into one time a year to offer sacrifice for atonement of sin, mediating for the people. And now here, as Jesus dies, the curtain in the temple is torn from top to bottom, demonstrating that this is an act of God, top to bottom, not bottom to top, top to bottom, it was torn. Here, Jesus made access to God available to all who will come to God through Christ. That's how the access works. It's not just access to God. It's access to God through Christ. It matters. It matters desperately that we come to God through Christ. There is no salvation apart from Christ. There is no way to the Father apart from coming to him through Jesus. Well, Matthew records that along with the tearing of the, the curtain, there was also an earthquake and there was also resurrection of the dead. Can you even imagine this? Remarkable moments. We have the temple being, the curtain in the temple being torn. We have the earth quaking. We have people rising from the graves. And yet people carried on. They carried on in their unbelief. Unbelief swallows up all the evidence, even when we see things like this. Warren Wearsby notes here that there was a, 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 a at Sinai, at Mount Sinai, when God gave Moses the law, there was an earthquake. And now here, when Jesus fulfills the law, 
another earthquake. Two remarkable points in redemptive history. The bringing in of the law and the fulfillment of the law and God shakes the earth to show us it matters. The way to God was open. And guess what? The way to God is open today. It's open today. It's open for you. Christian, it's open for you 24-7. For you that have yet to come, it is open through Christ. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's it. There is no other. There is no other priest. There is no other person. There is no other way in which we have access to God, but through our great high priest, who is Jesus Christ. Fourthly, in his death, we see not only liberation, but we see revelation. Look at verse 39. And when the centurions who stood facing him saw that this, saw that this way, he breathed his last, he said, truly this was the Son of God. Here this, this Roman centurion, a commander of a hundred soldiers, familiar with crucifixion, after having seen many die, here, he looks upon Jesus, and he sees something else. And he says, truly, this was the Son of God. Or the translation might be more, more, uh, more correctly, a Son of God. Some dispute whether or not this man was actually making a statement of faith, or he was merely, or not merely, but certainly making a statement of deity. We don't necessarily know, but it certainly is a statement of deity. Here, this Gentile centurion may not have understood even the words he was uttering, but in the end, he saw that Jesus was divine. We should also remember that earlier, this same day, there was another man who at one point in time was cursing Jesus, who then saw something different in Jesus. It said to that, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. You remember that robber. He went from cursing to believing. So what exactly this man knew, we don't know. But we do understand that he saw something in Jesus. And speaking of that robber, Alistair Begg imagines the, the scene of this robber when he, come, when he came into heaven. I'm going to read uh, just a, uh, a part of Alistair's uh, sermon. He says, think about the thief on the cross. Alistair Begg is Scottish, if you don't know, and I, I've listened to him a few times, so if, if I move into an attempt at a Scottish accent, I'm not doing it on purpose. It's just, he says it, and it sounds so cool. I wish I could talk like that, but I can't. So I'll try not to, but think about the thief on the cross. He says, I can't wait to find that fellow one day and ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you are cussing out the guy and with your friend. You've never been to a Bible study. You've never been baptized. You didn't know anything about church membership, and yet you made it. How did you make it? How, how, how did it happen? The angel, angel greeting him must, must have said, what are you doing here? And the man says, I don't know. The angel, what do you mean you don't know? The guy says, I don't know. He says, the angel, excuse me, I'm going to go get my supervisor. He goes and gets the supervisor. Supervising angel comes back and says, so, so let me ask you a few questions. Uh, first of all, are, are you clear on the doctrine of justification? The robber says, never heard of it in my life. Okay. Uh, are, you here, are, you, are you clear about the, the doctrine of, of the scripture? The guy's just staring at him. 
Frustrated, the, the, the supervisor says, that on what basis are you here? The robber says, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. It's the man on the middle cross. It's the son of God. It's Jesus who is the Messiah. You might not have all your theology in order yet. None of us do. But what you need to have in order is recognizing something about Jesus, something specific about Jesus, that Jesus isn't just a teacher. He's not just a good guy. He's not an option among many. In fact, he is God who has come to save. He is the king who has a kingdom that he gives access to any who would come to him in repentance and faith. That's what we must know. We must know the man on the middle cross, that he alone saves. We must see that Jesus is the Son of God, our only Savior. In his death, Jesus revealed his deity. It is only through Jesus that we are saved. Well, verses 40 and 41 tells us that the centurion was not the only one observing this seed. We see here that there are women that were looking on from a distance. And he gives a list of three women. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of uh, Joseph, and Salome, who is the mother of James and John, the the sons of Zebedee. And when he was in Galilee, they they followed him and ministered to him. And there were many other women who came up to Jerusalem, uh, with him to Jerusalem. And just want to make make one statement here. Where's the, the story of Jesus uh, we see it records mostly the words and actions of, of Jesus' 12 disciples. But here and in other places in the gospel, we get this glimpse that, that Jesus wasn't just running around with 12 people. He wasn't just running around with 12 men. That there were women and there were other people who were in fact Jesus' followers. And here he lists three by name, three eyewitnesses to his death. We're going to see later their witness to his burial And then more next week. Again, more on that next week. And finally, in his death, Jesus proved that he was dead by being buried. That might seem redundant, but there's been questions about did Jesus really die? Jesus proved that he died by being buried in a tomb. Look at verse 42. And when evening had come, since it was the the day of preparation... Uh, that is the day before the Sabbath, so it's still Friday. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have died, already died. In summoning the, the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was, he was dead, he granted the corpse to, G, to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. A death by crucifixion normally took days. Jesus was on the cross for hours. This was uncommon that someone crucified would die this soon. They usually were left to hang. They were left to rot. They were then eaten by birds, and what was left was was thrown into the valley of hidden. But this would not be true for Jesus for several reasons. One is that by Jewish law, upon death, 
there was a burial that was required on the same day. So since Jesus died that day, he had to be buried. Additionally, they wanted to speed up the death, so they were going to break the shins of all three men. Since Jesus was already dead, they did not do that. But secondly, we see that Jesus did not endure such a fate of hanging there for days because there was a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And here, we don't know much about this man, but we do know that he was rich, and we do know that he was a non-Jewish Pharisee. He was a member of the council, that is the Sanhedrin, and that he was a secret disciple of Jesus. And here, at the death of Jesus, Joseph goes to Pilate and asks boldly for Jesus' body. Now, that might not seem like anything to us, but typically, a relative or a close friend would be the one who asks for the body. But in this case, it's this man named Joseph. The request may not seem notable, but here, listen, this is a Gentile Pharisee who was a secret disciple of Jesus, who's now going to a Roman leader, Pilate, the governor, in asking for the body of Jesus. He's identifying himself as a follower. He's identifying himself with Jesus. He's coming out of the shadow, so to speak, and identifying with Jesus in his death. This would have put him potentially into conflict with the other religious leaders, those who had a hand in this very crucifixion. But as Dietrich Bonhoeffer reminds us, that when we deny ourselves, we become aware only of Christ. We become aware only of Christ and see no longer the road which is too hard. Say, how how did did he do it? Why, Why would he have done that? Because he saw Christ and he was willing to give up everything else in order to do it. Could that be said of us? Well, Joseph was most likely not alone. Taking down a body from a cross probably would not have been a one-man job. He may have had servants with him, but we also know there was another man there. John's gospel tells us a man named Nicodemus, another secret disciple of Jesus. Nicodemus comes, John says, and he brings a mixture of myrrh and aloe. And in both cases, both cases of Joseph and of Nicodemus, their actions were not compulsive. He didn't accidentally have a mixture of myrrh and aloes on him. Now, now some of you who are into oils, you probably carry that stuff around you. Nicodemus didn't do that. This wasn't, he, he accidentally had oils with him. No, he, he planned, he intended for this. And the tomb, the tomb that Joseph had, that didn't accidentally get, get hewed out of stone. He intentionally had that ahead of time prepared. These were not compulsive Actions, they were premeditated actions. They planned to serve Jesus in this way. And in their actions, they indicate a respect for Jesus, a respect for the body, and a willingness to no longer be a secret disciple. Mark concludes this part of the narrative with a mention of two of the women that were present in verse 20, excuse me, in verse 40. Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. Again, we'll talk more about that next week. But what might be notable in these last scenes of Jesus' crucifixion in life, the only people mentioned that are with him are two Pharisees and two women. No family, no disciples. At the burial of Jesus, two Pharisees who were secret disciples and two women that probably bears some unpacking 
But what we can understand is the disciples missed the boat on this one, didn't they? They failed Jesus again, and yet God had grace for them, as we will see. Well, in his death, Jesus was forsaken. In his death, Jesus paid the debt of our sin. In in his death, Jesus opened the way to God. Jesus revealed his deity. Jesus proved he was, uh, was dead by being buried. Jesus' death was not a defeat, but a declaration of accomplishments. In his death, Jesus was abandoned, so we would never have to be abandoned. The night before Jesus died, he instituted what's called the Lord's Supper, what Paul calls the Lord's Supper. If you would turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that's page 958, 958. And here Paul records this supper that Jesus instituted. And here he pictures the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus with two elements, with bread and with a cup. But before we go any further, look with me at verse 27, chapter 11, verse 27 of 1 Corinthians reads like this. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of of the Lord. Let each person examine himself then, so and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. If you don't know Jesus this morning, if you're attending today and you say, I'm not a Christian, I don't know Jesus, I've never, I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior, then, then we would ask for you to abstain from this part of the service. If you are sitting here today and you, do, you, you know you have sin in your life that you're refusing to, to repent of, we would ask for you to abstain from this service as well. For to do so, for to partake, is what Paul calls it, eating of the body and the blood of Jesus in an unworthy manner. So instead of, of taking of these elements, we invite you to come to Jesus himself, to come to God and find the forgiveness of your sins as you repent and believe. For Christians, the same is true, that if we repent, God will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So before we move to the table, would you pause with me and ask for God to search our hearts. God, we do pray that you would search our heart this morning. Cause us to see if there's any wicked way that we would repent even right now. Even right now. Repent and believe. Father, forgive us of our sins, we pray. God, we ask your blessing on the bread as we take it, as we remember the body of Jesus that was given, the body that was laid down for us. It was pierced for our transgressions. We remember this body this morning. The apostle writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So thank the Lord.
God, we do thank you for your, your son, his body. We remember his blood. Remember his blood that was shed. His blood that was shed to wash away our sins. An incredible image. Yet we know it had to happen. And so for it, we give thanks, remembering his death for us. The, the apostle continues, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim the Lord's death together. Pray with me, Father, we give thanks for Jesus, for his death, for us, for all that it accomplished. May our response to it be one of praise, one of thanksgiving, one of not only hearing this morning, but, but being changed by these truths. That we would not only see Jesus just as, a, as someone who, who took our punishment, but as a savior who saved us from that punishment. And not just from the punishment, but to eternal life through faith in him. And so we pray that you would help us to see it that way. We pray for those who have yet to come to Christ that they would even now. We pray for your spirit to do its work. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Oh God.